Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 36 through 47. Now, just to help you see a little bit of where we're at as we jump into the book of Acts. We're going to spend some weeks now uh, looking at the book of Acts and looking at the church. And this morning we're looking at kind of the birth of the church, when the church just began. And you may remember the disciples were in that upper room and the the Spirit came upon them like tongues of fire. You remember that part? We call that Pentecost because it happened on the Feast of Pentecost, the Jewish Feast of Pentecost. And they began to, to tell the good news in many different languages. And there were people there who began to gather. And Peter stood up as they moved out into the streets. And Peter stood up and he began to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And he made it very clear that Jesus was the Messiah, the one they were looking for, the one who would bring forgiveness and grace and mercy uh, and, and would establish the kingdom of God in a powerful way. <clears throat> And those who were standing there uh, were listening intently, and it became that moment when they were, when they were confronted, were confronted with who Jesus really is. And in that moment, they they had uh, something happen within them, in which they began to birth. I, I'm even going to call it this morning a new nation. Uh, we call it the church. If you would look with me, then in Acts chapter two, verse thirty-six. Peter is still preaching. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing of this God's most holy word. Let us prepare our hearts to gather around His table and to partake of the symbols of His great love for us. For your peace, for a chance to gather together around your word and to listen. Father, help us to hear your voice. Lord, I ask that you would speak through me, though I'm unworthy, except by your incredible grace. Lord, may we be touched, may we be healed, may we be transformed, may we be the people you have called us to be as we serve you together. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. right. We're waiting for you, Kenny. I'm hoping uh, that uh, we get through this this morning. I got a head cold, in case you didn't notice the different sound in my voice. Um, So we're going to do what we can. You know, uh, tomorrow you will go out and celebrate Independence Day. I hope tomorrow is July 4th, and I hope you get a chance to to get out and maybe see some fireworks or or maybe shoot some guns. I don't know. That's a tradition, uh, actually, believe it or not. I learned that reading that this, this week, that traditionally on the 4th of July, starting in 1777, uh, people went out and shot guns. <clears throat> just, I don't know, uh, just, uh, yeah, I guess. It, it certainly is, it can be celebratory. Uh, and, and picnics and parades and all that good stuff for Independence Day. Now, I don't know how much you know about Independence Day, but actually the Continental Congress on July 2nd um, decided to secede or to pull away from uh, the, the crown, uh, the British government. So that happened actually on July 2nd. As a matter of fact, B- Benjamin Franklin was so excited he wrote home and told his wife, this day is going to be the day that everybody celebrates. <laughs> he thought that was going to be the big day. Well, <clears throat> come to find out, uh, that wasn't the big day, as you know. Uh, it moved to the 4th because it was on the 4th that they actually signed the Declaration of Independence. Now, if you're a historian, you're sitting there saying, now, Pastor, you don't know your history because some people don't believe they signed it on the 4th. However, uh, John Adams and Benjamin Franklin and uh, John Hancock all stated that they actually signed it on the 4th. So I'm going with that. You all can debate that if you want. But it was on the 4th that they signed that Declaration of Independence. That was the day that the United States was born. That was the day we came into being. That was the day we said, we're going to stand together. And, and of course, that was the day it, it was solidified. But all this stuff has been happening for quite a while, hadn't it? Things had to be set up in order for us to change, for, in order for us to become the United States. Uh, these colonies, first of all, had to change their, their hearts, their, their allegiance. Their allegiance had always been to King George. And what's interesting is King George wasn't that bad of a king. I don't know. Uh, we sometimes think, well, you know, he did all the taxes and all that stuff. He actually had been pretty lenient with the colonies. And the colonists paid less taxes than the people in England at the time. And so it was kind of odd that all of a sudden the colonists would all of a sudden decide they didn't like paying those taxes. They wanted to be independent. And so uh, they had a change, and, and so that change had to happen within the colonies. They had to decide, okay, we are no longer going to be a part of the British government. We're going to form our own government. They had to decide and believe that they could actually pull this off. You know, you're talking a few little colonies against the superpower of the day. 
Something in them had to believe that they could actually make this happen, that they could actually become a separate country. It's really quite amazing that they actually believed they could do that. And they also had to begin to unite together and work together for that cause. And of course, it's the the cause of freedom that they stood together. And it wasn't easy. Ben Franklin had tried to uh, get them together in 1753 in Albany uh, to, to, to make a pact to fight against the French and the Indians. And, he, and no matter what he tried in New York, it didn't work <laughs> because the, the, the colonies were having a hard time standing together. You know why? Because they were fiercely independent people. And so when it came to the revolution, they had to somehow come together. And it's, it was their desire for freedom and to be independent of the crown that all of a sudden brought them together. And they were able to stand united. And hence, we have the birth of the United States. I want to suggest to you this morning that in our passage of Scripture, I haven't forgotten we read Scripture this morning. This isn't just a history lesson that in our passage of Scripture this morning, we have the birth of the church. We have a birth, the birth of what I would call a nation, a new people, who will gather together, who will be united in a new way. And this new nation we call the church. But it is really a movement. It is something that is happening within us and should continue to happen within us, by the way. Becoming a part of the church isn't something you do when you say, okay, I want to be a member of the church, and and the deacons say, well, you look pretty nice, and so we'll let you in. We'll let you in. They wouldn't let you in then, Kenny. Kenny, you're already in. We love you. But something else has happened within you and within us that has bound us together, that has created us into something, not just individuals. When you come here, you're not just an individual, but you are part of something greater, something called the church. And our world today is trying to, help, uh, to get you to think that the church has very little influence and very little power and, and very little hope to offer our world. But I'm here to tell you that the church has great influence and is making a big difference and wants to change not just our world, but change us as well. And that's what happened on that day when Peter began to preach. People were standing there listening, and all of a sudden, a new nation a new people, a new gathering was born. Now, I, I want to be careful because I know there are other religions that talk about forming a nation. And when I'm talking about forming a nation here, I'm not talking about a, <clears throat> a geographical boundary. The nation of God, the people of God, the, the church itself is universal, isn't it? Around the world this morning, there are believers gathering to worship God and to proclaim Jesus Christ as their Lord. It's really a powerful moment. I hope you don't miss that. When you sit around the table, it wasn't just us. It was people in Northeast even. And there were people in 
even in Philadelphia. And there were people this morning in England. And there were people this morning in Bangladesh. And people this morning in China. And people this morning in Vietnam. And people this morning in Russia. And people this morning around our globe who are sitting down around the table and who are celebrating Jesus Christ. We are part of a huge nation that God has called together to serve Him. So what's this nation look like? Well, first of all, if you want to be a part of this nation, you really have to have a change of heart. You really have to change your allegiance, you see. Because what Paul is saying here, or I'm sorry, what Peter is saying here in Acts, he's making it very clear that the people in the past, these people in the past, including us, have decided that we know what's best and what's right. We have been an independent people. We are an individualistic people. And we have decided that we know what's best. And when we decide what we know is best, we find ourselves going against what God says is best. And when we do that, we call that sin. And Peter begins to explain to them that it's sin that caused Jesus to die. God has set set up our our world so that when, when you sin, someone has to die. That's the price. That's what sin does. It separates us from God, and it begins that process of death in our lives. And God made that very clear through creation itself. He created us perfect. He created us to live forever. And when we sinned, we began to decay. We began, I don't know if you ever read in the Old Testament, those people lived forever. Did you know? Not forever, but a long, long time. And they lived that long, not, not because they measured years differently. They lived that long because they were closer to the perfection which they were created and as sin continue, continues to increase in our lives, uh, the, the shorter we live. Because our, our bodies begin to decay more and more and more. There, there's this greater decay happening in our lives. And, and we try to stave it off. And we're good at staving it off. We, we have all, all these medicines and all these things we do to try to help us get better and live longer. And, and we, we even think we can uh, keep us alive beyond the point where we should have died. <laughs> we put ourselves on a machine and, and, and finally people say, well, that's enough. And all that is a result of sin that has happened in our world over time. So God has made it very clear that sin causes death. But Jesus came to to reverse that in our lives, in our spiritual lives. So rather than be separated from God, if someone else would pay the price for us, our penalty for sin, then we could be forgiven and we could have life and have life even eternal. And Jesus came along and lived a perfect life and said, God, I will die on behalf of these people. If anyone should believe in me, I will give them life. I will pay their price. They will have my life. I will pay their price. I will die in their, on their behalf. That's an incredible moment. That's actually the moment we just celebrated. Jesus' incredible love for us to pay the price for our sin. 
And Peter is, is sharing this good news. And, and the people realize, well, if it's my sin that separates me from God, and Jesus died for my sin, then I'm responsible for Jesus' death. Now what do I do? What can I do? And Peter makes it clear. Repent. In other words, decide. Decide not to do it your way anymore. Decide to do it Jesus' way. Change your heart. Change your allegiance. Change the one to whom you are willing to follow. That doesn't make any sense. Change the one you want to follow. Decide to follow Jesus rather than follow yourself. So decide that you're going to put yourself in Jesus' shoes, that you're going to follow Jesus' path, not your own path, not the way that goes away from God, but rather go the path towards God. He says, repent and be baptized. Go and follow Jesus. Do it Jesus' way. And that begins a change within your life and within your heart. Then you begin to become a part of this new movement, a part of this new church, a part of this new nation. You have to be willing to change. You have to say, no, I'm not going to follow my way. I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. Which way are you going to follow? Which way are you going to go? Now it's hard because the rest of the world says, go your own way. Do your own thing. Make your own decisions. Show the world that you can do it the way you want to do it. Don't do it God's way. Do it your way. And so Paul ends up, or Peter ends up saying this. He says, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Just because the world says it's right doesn't make it right. You have to decide. Who are you going to follow? What's your choice? And the neat thing is, God has given you that choice. People don't even recognize it. See, they're, they're so caught up in the ways of the world. The world has to be right. Everybody says it's right. It must be right. Instead of stopping and saying, wait a minute. Now, parents understand this, right? Because if you're a parent with any rules at all, you may have heard your children say, but everybody else. You ever heard that? But all the other parents. Everybody else says it's okay. Now, you've heard that. And yet when the world says it's okay, we as adults frequently say, well, everybody else is doing it. If we're going to be a part of this new movement of God that we call the church, we have to decide who we're going to follow. Are you going to follow Christ or are you going to do it your own way or the way of the world? Which way are you going to do it? So I would encourage you to begin to change your heart. Ask God to help you to see His way, to learn His way, and to follow His way. And His way at times is very difficult because it goes against the way of this world. But it's a way filled with love and grace and mercy. It's a way that gives us life. You have to choose. Second of all, 
I hope you realize this morning that the Apostle, uh, Apostle Peter begins to outline for them that they not only will have a change of heart, but as they begin to follow, they will discover the power of the Almighty God. What he says is, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I, I've been thinking a lot this week about these colonists, these 13 colonies. You, you understand, don't you, that they, had, they were horribly outgunned. Britain was the superpower of the day, um, and, and certainly they had no chance militarily of winning this battle. Not only were they outgunned, they were totally unprepared. Uh, talk about horrible soldiers. Um, as a matter of fact, if you read history, you see that, that the leaders of the military were about to pull their hair out because a lot of people wanted to fight, but nobody really knew how. And so they tried to train them, and, and the training was very difficult because, you know, everybody wanted to do it their own way anyway, and they always had the best plan, and why are you telling me what to do? And, and, and so just to think that perhaps they could overcome this superpower was ludicrous, was impossible, unless they happened to have something more, and that something more that they had was faith. They believed it was possible. They believed that they could actually make this happen. Ludicrous as it may have sounded, they believed that they could do it. And they believed, furthermore, that God was a part of that whole process. And so when they stood against the throne, they stood saying, we believe this is what God is calling us to do, and we're going to fight on His behalf. Wouldn't you know they won? I, I wanted to share that with you just in case you didn't know. They actually won. Why? How could that happen? How could people who were, who were just ordinary folk like you and me, uh, who, who may have, have used their guns to hunt, but had never used their guns in military uh, conflict, how could these, this ragtag group uh, how could they ever become victorious? There had to be something more. The truth of the gospel is that if you change your heart and decide to follow Jesus, He fills you with what we call the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that comes within you, and the power of God then dwells within you. And you can look at yourself and say, well, I can't do a thing. And the truth of the matter is you can't. But the neat thing is that God's Spirit is within you, and with Christ, nothing Nothing is impossible. Uh, Paul in 2 Corinthians begins to outline this for us in kind of a neat way. He talks about the vessels uh, made of clay. And he says, you know, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. As we begin to, to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins to fill us and begins to use us in ways we never thought possible. And I've read the end of the book, and in the end we are victorious, not because of ourselves, but because of the power of God at work within us. You saw all those pictures of VBS um, yeah, you, you want to talk about vessels of clay. 
(laughs) You want to look at imperfect people coming together, trying to share the love of Jesus with not just young people, but adults as well. And we watched as young people opened their hearts to Jesus and decided to follow Him. One little girl, I went to the counseling room after one teaching time, and, I got, and, and the little girl, she looked up at me, big smile on her face. She said, I just said yes to Jesus. I tell you what, if she were the only one, it would have been worth it. I just said yes to Jesus. She now has a friend that will never leave her, a hope that will never fade. And the Holy Spirit dwells within her. Young people, the Holy Spirit, if you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. You have the power of the Almighty God within you. And He's going to do great things as you trust in Him. We forget. Way too often we forget. We look at what we can do and we say, oh, this is all I can do. You have the power of the Almighty God within you. And He will be victorious. You put your trust in Him. You follow Him and you watch what God will do. There's a new movement as the Spirit of God works in your life. And then finally, um, the, the colonists were finally able to get it together, which is amazing. And I'm always amazed at the different people that come to church. Have you ever noticed that? Um, Different people come to church, and and some of you are more different than others. Uh, But but there are all kinds of different people. There are professionals. There are laborers. There are white-collar, blue-collar. I don't care what collar you wear. Some wear no collars. Um, Some are are people who have a lot of creativity. Um, Others are good at numbers. Um, so, some are, are good at, at vision, others are good at making vision happen. But it takes all of us to make the church. And so the colonists somehow had to get together. They somehow had to get, get each other on board. And it was hard because we live in a country and it's still a problem in our nation, isn't it? It's hard to get us all together. It's all about me. And it's all about what I think and what I think is right. And it's getting, it seems like it's getting worse. I mean, you, you look at Congress, you look at, at our government, our government's at a stalemate. Why? Because I want this and they want that and we all think we should get what we want. And our unity be- becomes fractured. But there's something about Christ that brings people who are totally different together to share in His love. This place is different. This place is different. No matter who you are, you're welcomed here. This place is different. Listen very carefully, because uh, when when we went to Livermore Falls years ago, um, this became very clear. When we got there, a strike had just happened at um, uh, at the International Paper Company which was the biggest employer in the area. And so people had gone out on strike and families were fractured because there were 
people in management in those families and people who were working uh, in, in, the, in the mill itself um, on the machines and, and making sure things keep happening. And so the one group was on strike and the other group was still there. And families were torn apart. And it got so bad that the schools had to say, when you go to school, you can't wear a shirt that says anything about international paper whatsoever. You can't say you're a union person. You can't say you're a company person. You can't wear anything that talks about unions or companies. Or I mean, it was almost like you had to be very careful what you wore just to go to school. And the church that we served before we got there, the pastor before me, had sat down with the church and said, we need to be clear about something. When we step onto the property, we step onto God's property. And in God, we are all one. There isn't union workers or management workers. They're not strikers or scabs, for that matter, or replacement workers, whatever you want to call them. We are all one. And when you walked into that congregation, you saw people who were still in management, and you saw people who were on strike, and you saw people who were, quote, replacement workers, and they all came into the sanctuary, and when they came into the sanctuary, they worshiped together, and they served God together, and they loved one another. It was an amazing thing to see and to be a part of. Do you understand that when you pledge your allegiance to Christ, Christ becomes your first allegiance. And you are now united even to people you don't like who proclaim their allegiance to Jesus Christ. There was a gentleman in the church, I'll never forget, who was on strike. He had a child who had special needs. And of course, being on strike, he didn't have much money. And and. The church wanted to help him out. They knew he wouldn't just take, you know, well, we'll give you money. He wouldn't do that. So, so they, they went over to the parsonage, and they decided that the parsonage could use a nice porch, a patio-type thing with bricks. And so they called this guy up, and they said, listen, uh, we know that you could use some work, and, and we've decided the parsonage would look really nice. Now, the parsonage didn't need a porch. But they knew. And some of the people on trustees were management people. And they knew. And some of them were, were those who were also on strike. And they knew. And because of the love of Christ, they hired this guy to build. He did a great job. He was, he was good at whatever he did. Made a great patio. It was a great place to sit and, and enjoy a beautiful view of the church that was right next door. <laughs> but... Do you understand what they did? It wasn't that he was a striker. It was that he was a brother in Christ and he had a need. And they would do whatever it takes to meet that need. Listen to what the church did when they got together. Did you read that carefully? You see, they got together and they fellowshiped and, and got together and were excited about their relationship with God and they shared God with each other. And sometimes they did it around the table and sometimes they did it in prayer and sometimes they did it at their homes. Sometimes they invited others over just so they could talk about God. They were so excited about what Jesus was doing. They got together and when they got together, God did amazing things. 
as they shared with one another what God was doing, they began to see God do even greater things. And it was exciting to see what He was doing and how He was making a difference in people's lives. They got together. When they got together, they couldn't help but give things away. Did you notice that? That's funny about followers of Jesus Christ. They're always ready to give things away. The world is already always trying to find things to get, but people of God are trying to give it away. It's amazing. And that's what they did. They saw someone with a need. They wanted to make sure that need was met. They'd sell stuff they had. As a matter of fact, we see later on, people sold property that they owned just so someone else could have what they needed to survive. That's the power of Christ in our lives. You become generous people when you're a part of this, this new nation. And then finally, finally when they got together, the world began to see that this was a different group of people. They began to see that these people were different. They weren't like the rest of the world. So the question is, when people see you, do they recognize you as a part of the church? Have you decided to follow Jesus or are you trying to follow a line in between? I I know a lot of people who try to follow that in-between line. Um, The Scripture says, God says, lukewarm Christians make me vomit. That's a uh, paraphrase. Okay, It, It really says, God says He'll spew them out of His mouth. But I like the other better. Same idea. He's looking for people who are committed If the colonists had walked the line, they never would have become the United States of America. They had to choose. And once they made that choice, they were bound to that choice. You have to choose to follow Jesus. Once you make that choice, once you believe that He died for you and you accept Him into your life, you ask Him to forgive your sins and you repent. You begin to walk His way and follow His way. If you want to be a part of this nation, you need to allow the Spirit of God to direct you and lead you that the power of God might be your sole source of strength and comfort. That you're not looking to other human beings to try to affect your life. Rather, that you're looking for the Almighty God to come and transform your life. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to be a part of His community. In other words, you you have to be willing to, to... Join with people that you may disagree with because they claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And if you're both followers, you can walk together even in your disagreement. And He will come and begin to use you in powerful ways. You have to open your life up to others and say, okay, here I am, and offer yourself to them, just like Jesus did to you. You have to be willing to be a part of this new thing we call the church. And it's still a new thing. It's beginning to grow in you and in me. Won't you say yes to Jesus today? Let's bow forward a prayer. Lord Jesus, many here this morning claim to be followers of you. I thank you and praise you for them. Pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that you would challenge them, that, that as they have heard uh, your word again, that they would be reminded of the things that you call us to do and to be so that the world might see that you are different. 
that you want to give life. Thank you for the life you've given us. Lord, I pray this morning for those who have been kind of on the outside looking in as they've come to worship some week after week after week. And they've held back. Lord, they're trying to walk that line where they, they want to say they're in control. This morning, we pray that they would choose, that they would choose you, that they would choose life, that they, Lord, would have the hope and the assurance of eternal life. Lord Jesus, make us a new nation. Make us your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.